1208. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ Art. We criticize a lot of stuff that goes on. Let me just, let me give a shout out. Okay, last night it was, well, I think it might snow until June around here, but last night it was snowing like you know what, all right? My my wife um, was visiting her sister in Omaha, and the nature of it was, it was a turnaround trip. So I took her to the airport, 5 o'clock in the morning, love you, hon, and then I picked her up. The flight, um, her flight, it goes through Minneapolis, didn't get back until 11.15 last night. So getting out, you know, no problem other than you have to wake up and get in the car and drive down to the airport. So um, flight gets in at 11.15 last night, and I'm, I'm watching the weather. And just like the meteorologist predicted, uh, it started, you know, bad around here around 3.30 or 4, and then just kept snowing and snowing and snowing and getting progressively worse and worse and worse. And I was watching the air traffic, and, and Mitchell was doing a good job. Planes were coming in. I don't think there was but one flight that was canceled. So I wasn't worried about the plane getting down. I, I was kind of worried about the roads because it was sort of a mess. And I'm looking at the road in the little uh, in the area where I live, and, and the plow hadn't been through or anything like that. And it was, it was icy. It was a mess. So I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, is this going to be another one of these white-knuckle drives to get down to the airport? And I will tell you, and this is a shout-out, um, the, the side roads, not necessarily great. But once I got to the freeway, um, both going and then it pretty much stopped by the time she got in and we're coming back, I, the, the, the roads were just fine. Now, obviously, I, I saw one or two cars that were in the ditch as they were trying to get through the entrance ramp um, that, that weren't perhaps as plowed quite as well as the freeway. But the freeway itself was in absolutely great shape, which, you know, reminds me whether it's November or whether it's April 18th, we do do snow really well around here. And last night it was just, it was messy, it was nasty, and at least my experience driving on the main roads, um, fine. So props out to all the different people who were out there taking care of the roads. Obviously, they had treated the roads in advance, so they weren't freezing, um, not slippery, at least on the freeway where I was driving. So props to all the public service workers who went out and I, I think did an extremely good job. All right. Let us – oh, I'm playing Monty Hall today. We're, well, it's actually – you don't even have to make a deal with me. You just have to be the right caller. During the 1 o'clock hour of the program, we are going to be giving away a pair of tickets to the Bucks celtics it's the Sunday playoff game, right? Sunday playoff game. Okay. Their, their game three is Friday. Game four will be Sunday. During the 1 o'clock hour, I'm going to be giving away a pair of tickets to watch the Bucks play the Celtics. Um, it is possible, possible that this might be the last Bucks game at the Bradley Center. Um, uh, the Bucks are behind two games to none. You know, who knows what's going to happen in the series, but it's possible that game might be the last one. And then, of course, we are right in the middle of our Welcome Back Baseball promotion during the 2 o'clock hour of the program. I'm going to be giving away a four-pack of tickets to the correct caller to go see the Brewers play the Pittsburgh Pirates on Sunday, May 6th, and a $50 uh, gift card from MelvinMulch.com, our sponsor. Brewers, um, I, I was at the game Tuesday night. Eric Thames hits the two-run home run. They beat the Reds 2-0 yesterday afternoon. Didn't have a program because we were preempted. If I'm going to be preempted, at least it's nice to see the Brewers win. So uh, two two two-nothing wins in a row. They play the Florida Marlins tonight. All right, let us get started. The news broke. I I think actually Dan Bice from the Journal Sentinel is the first one that had this story. It, It broke on Tuesday afternoon, after the show was done, and I have to admit, when I saw this story, my first reaction was, wait, is it is it April Fool's Day? No, no, it, it's not April Fool's Day. 
Of course, there's an election for governor coming up in November. And, of course, um, Scott Walker has always been controversial, I guess, with Act 10 and things like that. But but he's he, he won in 2010. He um, won by a bigger margin in the recall election of 2012. He was reelected to a four-year term comfortably in 2014 um, for a lot of reasons, because a number of Democrats, I think, believe that this is going to be Walker's last term, even if he wins. I think a lot of people are running because they'd like to position themselves as the leader of the Democratic Party, um, maybe for a more realistic chance to win in four years. In addition, because there's all this talk of a blue wave, which I think might be, and I say might be, overblown, now people are starting to think, well, maybe Scott Walker really is vulnerable. I, I've lost count as to how many Democratic candidates you have running. 15, 20, who, who knows? And, and every day I'll see this thing, so-and-so said that they drop out, and I'd never heard of so-and-so, and, uh, gee, that gee, they've dropped out of the race. Well, I didn't even know that they were running in the race. But the interesting news the other day is Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrick, who ran unsuccessfully for governor, um, couldn't get the Democratic nomination in 2002, got the Democratic nomination and got beat by Governor Walker in 2010, ran as the Democratic standard bearer in 2012 and lost by a bigger margin. So three unsuccessful runs for governor. Governor Open, Mayor Tom Barrett, confirms that he is considering considering another run for governor. This is what he tells uh, Kerry Spivak, Spivak of the Journal Sentinel. He says, I'm watching this like many others are watching it. Clearly, change is in the air. He said, I've had people approach me saying, we would like you to be mayor. We'd like you to stay mayor. Hmm. I've had, I wonder if that's anybody that, other than the pe- people that work for him are saying that. All right. But then he goes on to say, I've had people approach me and say, we'd like you to run for governor. Tom, we'd like you to run for governor. This is what politicians always do. They give you the line, well, I've got people telling me they want me to run for governor. My question would be, any of those people that are telling him that they want him to run for governor, is it anybody other than a Scott Walker supporter who is asking him to run for governor? Nevertheless, he is apparently serious about, well, wanting to do for the state what he has done for the city of Milwaukee. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, hear me out on this one. Hear me out on this one. I have three words to describe my message to the mayor. Those words would be, run, Tom, run. Yes, I am formally encouraging Tom Barrett to run for governor. Because as somebody who thinks Scott Walker has done an absolutely outstanding job, if you want to see Scott Walker re-elected governor by perhaps the largest margin ever, have the Democratic Party nominate Tom Barrett, a three-time loser, to run for governor. Have Tom Barrett, trolley Tom, MPS, out-of-control crime, Have Tom Barrett try to go back to the state and say, even in an era where there might be a blue wave, I want to do for the state of Wisconsin what I have done for the city of Milwaukee. I say, run, Tom, run. Let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Would you like to see Tom Barrett run once again to be the governor of the state of Wisconsin 
Does he have any chance of winning? And by the way, by the way, for all this talk about an enthusiasm gap, Democrats more excited than Republicans. All right, maybe I just shouldn't say this, but the truth of the matter is you want to eliminate that enthusiasm gap. You have the Democrats nominate Tom Barrett because I guarantee you there will be Republicans running through brick walls for the opportunity to vote against the guy who, who knows, you know, will want to spend billions of dollars to take a trolley and run it from, I don't know, Milwaukee to Superior. 414-799-1620. Having said that, though, my message is run, Tom, run. Would you like to see Barrett run for governor? And if so, why? We discuss next. 414-799-1620. It's twelve seventeen. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1220, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I admit I thought it was a joke. Uh, Tom Barrett, who ran for the Democratic nomination in 2002, lost to Jim Doyle. All right, fine. Went on to be the mayor of Milwaukee. He ran against Scott Walker in 2010. He got beat handily. He ran again against Scott Walker in 2012. He got beat handily again. Tom Barrett, in, in an exercise of what might be a complete lack of self-awareness, is looking at the field of Democratic candidates and saying, well, I don't see much here. Maybe maybe I need to run again. Now, he's sitting on apparently over a half a million dollars in campaign cash that he could use for a state run. He's run. He's raised that as mayor, but he could use that. So that would give him a heck of an advantage. As a Scott Walker supporter, my comments are run, Tom, run. You want to guarantee a Walker victory by perhaps the largest margin ever. Have the mayor of the city of Milwaukee take a shot. Let's start with Chuck in Milwaukee. Chuck, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Um, yeah, I want him to run, too. I want him to run just as bad as I want Jake Cutler to be the quarterback for the Bears. I think it'll be the same result. <laughs> that's that's right. Yeah, it's kind of like when when we heard that the that the that the Bears had had dumped Jay Cutler. It was going no, 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 don't yeah, do don't do that. No, it. it, it uh, no, th- thanks. I mean, I just again, it's it's this. The thing that strikes me the most is the complete total lack of self awareness. It is what part. Look, I, I understand people can run once and they can end up losing. I, I get that. People can run twice and they can end up losing, but they have to be persistent. People can run three times and they end up losing. At what point in time does the light bulb have to go on and say, all right, maybe this just isn't the career choice for you? On top of that, on top of that, and again, I say this is a perspective from the perspective of somebody who's a Scott Walker supporter and a fan. I mean, you want to talk about that the mayor of the city of Milwaukee, I mean, what is the legacy you're going to run on? Yeah, okay, we're, we're building the trolley that nobody is going to ride. Um, the state is experiencing record low unemployment and economic thriving, and, and my city has been left behind. And it's not all his fault, but nevertheless, you know, he that's the thing. Crime, all right, <laughs> where do we start with that? A failing school system, I could go on and on and on, and I'm sure I will if Tom Barrett really does get the Democrat nomination. Oh, run, Tom, run. Lou in Brown Deer. Lou, you're on WTMJ. Good morning, Gene. Uh, my saying is run, Lou, run. <laughs> uh, this man is oh. I, he's just atrocious. Oh, oh, you, oh run, run from the city of Milwaukee, got it. Or run from the state if he gets elected, got it. Yeah, I'm going to Las Vegas. <laughs> well, I... Then, uh, he messed up the police department. He's got that trolley, which is ridiculous, and he's got a half a million dollars to put in 
for re-election. <laughs> Let him put the half a million dollars into the trolley. <laughs> See, they're very, very good. That, that's it. See, that's what I like here. All right, here, here. I have a text from one of our uh, one of our liberal listeners, Jeff. Good point. Barrett would increase the chance of Walker getting reelected. Please, Tom, do not waste the money. I do not want. I do not want Walker either. But come on, figure it out, Tom. You won't win. Let another Democrat run. Support them now. But that's kind of. That's kind of the ego that, that that's out there. And I, again, I, I always love these statements. Then you hear, well, people are telling me that they want to run. They want me to run. Oh, come on. I mean, here, here's the thing. People who want to do this are driven by ego. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But obviously, for the last, I don't know, however many years, whenever Tom Barrett has looked himself in the mirror, he's seen the governor. And I'm sure he's seen himself as a governor. And I'm sure he's frustrated that he couldn't have beaten Jim Doyle in 2002. And I'm sure it kills him that he couldn't beat Scott Walker in 2010 and 2012. But, you know, it is 2018 now. And and this is the broader point, I think. And, And I would say this. I would say this for to Republicans and to Democrats as well. I, I think at some point in time there needs to be a changing of of the guard. You saw this in 2012 in the Republican senatorial race. Tommy Thompson, I I I am I am a fan of the governor. We campaigned together in 1994. I consider him to be a, a friend. But you know, in retrospect, his time had passed. In retrospect, that was the wrong race and it was the wrong candidate. And I guess if I were to, if I were to give any advice to the loyal opposition, it would be, you know, I understand Barrett's got a half a million dollars, which is probably a lot more money. That's probably more money than most, if not all the other candidates have raised combined. So I understand he could run those ads. Would it necessarily, I think he'd have an opportunity candidly to perhaps win the primary based on name recognition and things like that. But really, the if the Democrats, if the best they've got is the mayor of the city of Milwaukee, who's lost three times um, with all that baggage, or the mayor of the city of Madison with, you know, kind of the hippy-dippy, you know, liberal background, if that's the best they got, well, why don't we just even cancel November? Paul in Milwaukee. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Paul. Um, I just wanted to make a comment about uh, Tom Barrett. Yeah, I agree he shouldn't run. Um, I think he's run quite a few times and lost. But also, I think, you know, there's quite a, quite a few running right now in the Democratic field, and honestly, we don't need it uh, and more crowded. But I do have a question for you. Uh, what does Tom Barrett have to do with MPS? He has no control over that. Well, I, I understand. I, I understand. But this is this is the Milwaukee school system where you have the battle between not just MPS, which is failing, but also the charter schools and all that. And let, let's face it. Barrett has not been a leader when it comes to education. I understand that MPS is separate. I understand that he wanted to try to orchestrate somewhat of a takeover of that a number of years ago. But the bottom line is when people are going to look at the legacy and look at somebody's qualifications, you're going to say, okay, you're the mayor of Milwaukee. Here you've got failing schools. And you can say, well, there's nothing. I have nothing to do with the schools. Um, Whether or not people are going to accept that, I I sort of doubt it. But in any event, like I say, run, Tom, run. I think uh, there might very well be people that are encouraging him to do that. My guess is the majority of those people, though, are Walker supporters. Just saying. 1227. When we come back, big story number two. 
What could the State Bar of Wisconsin have been thinking? Stick around, 1227. It's 1235. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ Baseball is back, and I would like to send you to Miller Park. Be listening today during the 2 o'clock hour, and you will have a chance to win a four-pack of tickets to see the Brewers play the Pittsburgh Pirates on Sunday, May 6th. And, and on top of that, We'll also give you a $50 gift card courtesy of our sponsor, MelvinMulch.com. It is all part of our Welcome Back Baseball promotion. Um, I'm going to the ball game. I'm scheduled to go to the ball game tonight. My best, my best friend I'm going with is a little bit under the weather, but I'm scheduled to go tonight. Yeah. It's, uh, well, I was, I was there Tuesday night. Uh, this is part of my, I, I, I told Mark Atanasio, the owner of the Brewers, that this year I, I decided to reach into my pocket and bought a 20 pack of tickets and it's fun. Get the same seat all the time. Encourage people to do it. Okay. Um, I have said for decades that the state, if you are an attorney, you have to be a member of the state bar. That, that is a, a prerequisite. It's not true in a lot of states. In a lot of states, you know, you can decide whether you want to join the state bar or not. In Wisconsin, you have no choice. You have to pay dues. You have to be a member of, of the state bar. Um, the state bar, through various committees and working in conjunction with the state Supreme Court, also handles various aspects of, of lawyer discipline. And again, there's committees that are set up to do this. You know, ultimately, it's the, the Supreme Court that has the final authority. I have maintained for decades that the system of disciplining lawyers is way too lax for misconduct. Um, you know, you have lawyers who who do things. And maybe I maybe I'm just old fashioned about the profession of of law, but I believe it should be a profession. And I, I I've just it's very very difficult to to lose your law license. I mean, it's very very difficult. I mean, short of short of stealing from clients, and maybe even maybe even then, you know, that that they'll they'll find ways to let people you know keep their license. And I think I, I think most attorneys, the vast majority of attorneys, ninety eight ninety nine percent do great jobs and are ethical and honest and i think there's a small percentage and i it's always kind of i've always kind of kind of cringed candidly with discipline imposed on on some members of the bar for misconduct so that's why i was interested when i saw this press release coming from uh state attorney general Brad Schimmel and it, it brought back memories of a particular case um we talked about this at the time it happened. This goes back to ah uh, two thousand two thousand five, I, I think. And what happened was it was these two uh, attorneys um, out of Chicago um, who were one's name was Stephen Addison and Benjamin Butler, and they were apparently um, spending the weekend. You know, drinking at Addison's family vacation home in Green Lake County. And this is all a matter of public record. But what they did is they um, ended up meeting a woman in a bar. And then if you read the, the criminal complaint, the allegations are that they, they went up and they said, look, our, our cars, we, we've lost the keys to the car or something. We need a ride home. The woman agrees to give these guys a ride home. And long story short, they sexually assault her. All right. Um, they end up getting charged. Now, this was a controversy in Green Lake County because ultimately the district attorney um, or whoever was handling this case 
allows the two to plead no contest to reduced charges, and they were ordered to perform community service as a condition of suspended prison sentences. Sexual assault, you get community service. There was an outrage at the time. Um, Addison was sentenced to 30 days in jail with work release. Both men were also later suspended from practicing law in Illinois and in, in Wisconsin. Addison for 60 days, Butler for 30 days. Sexual assault, you get 30 days in jail and your license is suspended for 60 days. We talked about that at, at the time, and that was, again, one of – look, it, is impossible, it was impossible for me to under, argue – that, that that was an appropriate thing. And the controversy, of course, was are there two are there two standards of justice in Green Lake County? One for, I don't know, um, well-positioned attorneys, the other for maybe the average guy. And and then you go on and you look at the facts of this case and you say, okay, there, this guy suspended he 60 days. Your law license is suspended for 60 days. All right, I, I rest my case when I talk about lawyer discipline. In any event... That, that, that was a long time ago. So here's the press release that comes out yesterday from the Attorney General. Last week, let's see, upon learning about the Wisconsin State Bar Association's recognition of convicted felon Stephan Addison, the 2018 Jack DeWitt Wisconsin LAP Volunteer Award recipient, Attorney Brad Schimmel released the following statement. Last week, Wisconsin recognized National Crime Victims' Rights Weeks, and throughout the month of April, we have been recognizing Sexual Assault Awareness Month. There's been so much progress in recent years to foster a criminal justice system that welcomes sexual assault survivors and other crime victims. What type of message, this is Attorney General Schimmel's press release, what type of message is the Wisconsin State Bar Association sending to the state and survivors of sexual assault by honoring a man convicted of second-degree recklessly endangering safety and two counts of misdemeanor sexual gratification for a 2005 sexual assault. This is a terrible lapse in judgment, and Mr. Addison's award should be pulled. He does not deserve to have his name listed alongside the 15 other distinguished attorneys and judges nominated this year. Addison was selected apparently by this committee of the state bar to be recognized for helping peers with addiction problems through his work with the Wisconsin Lawyers Assistance Program. That's that's LAP. Um, now the president of the, the state bar is saying, well, I think maybe we need to take another look at it. It's my recommendation that this nomination be withdrawn, acknowledging the seriousness of the issue of sexual assault and out of respect for survivors and victims. Again, he was set to be honored as one of the best among us. 18 people commended for making a difference. Uh, the group was going to be recognized at the bar's annual meeting in June. All right, recognition again for his work, providing peer support and monitoring to other lawyers battling addiction and psychological issues. It is meant to recognize those who provide confidential, meaningful assistance, educational outreach, or other volunteer service through the Lawyer's Assistance Program. He was selected by the committee of the State Bar. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I guess there's two things that are interesting here. And and most importantly, it is, is this, does this send, is this terribly tone-deaf nominating this guy for this award? 
Is it terribly, terribly tone deaf? Or is this a tribute to the power of redemption? I mean, I guess the, the argument would be, all right, he, he did this in 2005. He was convicted. In my opinion, he got his wrist slapped by a number of different people. But 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 doesn't matter. He did this in 2005. It is now 2018. Not So we're not talking about decades, but we are talking about a little bit of time. And apparently the guy's been working as a volunteer helping, you know, uh, counsel other people. Is it tone deaf to give him an award, or is this an example of the power of redemption? Look at the terrible thing this guy did in 2005, and look how he's helping people now. Of course, we should recognize him and give him the award. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Brad Schimmel calls this out. Is that fair, or should we say, hey, all right, what he did was awful 10 years ago. You can have the debate about whether or not he got his wrist slapped, But still, if he's been doing all this great volunteer stuff, why not give him the award for what he's done over the last couple years? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you can't guess, I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss next. It's 1244. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Grew is producing the show today. I'm getting all these texts. You know what the big question is that people are saying? They're saying, wait a second. You mean you can be convicted of a felony in the state of Wisconsin and still practice law? And the answer is yes. In Wisconsin, felons do not automatically lose their law licenses. And even when their law licenses are taken away, they often get them back. And this is, again, just my opinion. But I think if you look at stuff historically, the Wisconsin the Wisconsin disciplinary system for lawyers, which in many cases is run by lawyers for lawyers, is just remarkably lenient, remarkably lenient. So here you have a situation. Again, I don't want to relitigate it to 2005 case, but you have a guy who is involved in very, very serious sort of misconduct back in 2005. And I think most people, I think, fairly would conclude that he was um, he was slapped on the wrist in connection with this. But I guess, you know, since then, he's been, you know, working and volunteering. Um, have a text here from Dave who says, um, I, I need, um, I think he should accept the award. It's been many, many years since whatever happened took place. Well, what happened was a sexual assault. And it, it hasn't, we're not talking about decades. We're talking about 12 or 13 years. So, I mean, that's that's a period of time, but it's not like, gee, this is something that happened when you're 18 and, and now you're 60. This is something that happened when he was an adult. It happened um, in 2005. But anyhow, I believe that he should accept the award. It's been many, many years since whatever happened took take place. At some point in time, we as a community need not to be so critical of things that have happened way in the past. Um we should take it into we, instead. We should take into consideration what they've done since the incident. Hmm. Well, I I appreciate, and I'm one of these guys that have argued that I think there should be a statute of limitations on bad behavior at some point in time. But I will tell you, in this particular case, I side completely, totally, one hundred percent with the Attorney General of the State of Wisconsin, Brad Schimmel. See, I have I am one of these people who believe that that a felony conviction especially if you are convicted of certain types of felonies, um, it should you should lose your law license forever. I mean, there's lots, 
and, and a couple states have that. We in Wisconsin don't. Um, I think that there's lots and lots of really good lawyers that are out there, and it's not like the profession is going to suffer if it's not like people aren't going to be able to find good legal representation. But okay, but that's not what the rule is necessarily. But I cannot believe how tone deaf this committee of the state bar would, would be, given all the attention that we have had, especially nowadays, to the issue of sexual assault. And I think it's wonderful if this man is redeeming himself, and it's wonderful if he's doing good things behind the scenes to help counsel other lawyers who have problems themselves. I, I think that that's all great. But to publicly recognize somebody who not really that long ago was involved in some extremely serious misbehavior, I think is incredibly, incredibly tone deaf. Now, to the credit of the president of the state bar, he's saying, okay, now that this has become public, now that the attorney general is calling attention to this, yeah, maybe we need to um, take another look at it. I think a number of prosecutors are saying that the same thing. I mean, I got to believe candidly that there's a lot of lawyers out there who are doing all sorts of good work, who are volunteering, who are doing all sorts of great things, and who, who probably don't have this particular guy's past. And and maybe maybe if you're looking to recognize somebody, you can find one of those lawyers. Just saying. 1250, what could the State Bar have been thinking? 1252, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1255, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're only a couple weeks into the baseball season, but tonight we'll learn who the Packers will play this year and when. Gene Miller breaks it down with the voice of the Packers, Wayne Larrabee. Be sure to tune in at 751 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. All right, there are regrets. Regrets? I've had a few. There are regrets, big regrets, and then there's Stormy Daniels' regret. Now, let me, let me just say this. I believe her story up to a point i understand that the president denies it do i believe the two of them had a one night stand back in 2006 at this golf tournament i i believe it i i just do i believe the president was cheating on his wife at the time yes i do do i i mean i believe it. the other stuff the well there was this shadowy guy that came and talked to me in 2011 i don't believe that for one minute maybe it happened but i don't believe it for one minute but i i do believe that they, they had, I'm not going to say a sexual relationship, they had a one-night stand back in 2006. Now, I am willing to say, first of all, from the perspective of the president, in the scheme of one-night stands and regret, this might be, I, I, I'm sure that there are, are other people who regret errors in judgment and one-night stands, but this, as, as, as regret goes, this has got to be a whopper. I, I mean, you know, in... in I understand. I'm not sure that Donald Trump's mind works like a lot of our minds work, but but there are moments where he's just got to sit there and think, "Oh my God!" I, I mean, what? Well, I know what he was thinking, but oh my God! Why of all the of all the people, you know that this, you know, why did I sleep with or not sleep with this particular woman? Now I understand the answer is because you know she was uh, she appeared in pornographic movies and whatever, but nevertheless, in the scheme of regret. As far as one-night stands go, this has got to be, this is, I mean, this is just kind of an off-the-charts thing. So now you have, and I, I've analyzed the whole Stormy Daniels thing. Um, it's just, to me, I don't I don't get the stuff with the lawyer, with the, with Trump's lawyer, and I've said this before, I, it doesn't make any sense at all. His story about how they paid her the money and all that makes no sense to me at all, and that will all, I guess, be sorted 
you know, end up being sorted out. But at, at the same time, this, this woman is not a victim. This woman is somebody who is clinging to her 15 minutes of fame in an effort to try to, well, okay, when she comes out and strips, you know, outside some club in Milwaukee, instead of being able to, you know, maybe, you know, draw a third of an audience, now she's going to be, you know, people are going to be showing up. There are going to be lines around the block to see, you know, the woman who slept with Donald Trump for this one night or not slept, as the case may be. So, I mean, I mean, she is, in my opinion, together with her attorney, uh, they are two of the most shameless self-promoters since, you know, Barnum and Bailey, which it just it is what it is. So, I mean, Trump's got to be having these regrets on just, God, I can't believe that I, of all the women in the world, I end up picking this woman. Like I say, I don't see her as being a victim. I have, however, admired the president's restraint of just trying to stay out of this because you cannot win. There is no way you can win an ongoing thing. And so I've I've admired his restraint about trying to rise above the fray. Until yesterday, he just finally couldn't help it. After she apparently sits down and she's with some sketch artist and she essentially gives a sketch that turns out to be Tom Brady. Guy looks exactly like Tom Brady, the Patriots Patriots quarterback, and she's getting pretty much mocked for this. Well, Trump can't help himself. He sends out a tweet. A sketch years later about a non-existent man, a total con job, playing the fake news media for fools, but, of course, they know that. Now, there may be all sorts of accurate things in, in what he is saying. I, I think the whole element about the again the, this stuff it does strike to me as self promotion and a con job and all that stuff, but by virtue of being the president of the United States, once you send out this tweet, you are now once again rolling around in the mud, and you would have thought the president would have learned that he got in enough trouble rolling around in the river with her back in two thousand six that maybe he should have knocked it off. Just saying. <laughs> It's 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Hey, if you want to get a head start on some of the things we talk about on the program, I invite you to follow me on Twitter. It's, it, I, should know, I should know my Twitter account right off the top of my head there, but uh, I'm trying to make a conscious effort to tweet a little bit more, and so you can always check that out. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. At Jeff Wagner 620, you can follow me on Twitter and try to give you a head start on some of the things that we're going to be discussing on the program. And a quick reminder, I know, because I see the numbers, that lots and lots of you are regular listeners of the podcast. If you are, I appreciate that. But um, if you miss any of the program and you want to check it out, you can download the podcasts. And like I say, I, I see the numbers, so I know lots and lots of people do that, and I appreciate that very much. All right. Let me tell you about this this woman. She's 39 years old. Her name is Randa Gerard. Before that, let me just kind of back into this story for a minute. I took four years of Latin at Nicolet High School. Don't ask me why. Took four years of Latin. For some reason, as I've said this before, foreign language and I, it was difficult. I wanted to be a lawyer, so I thought, okay, Latin would help in that. So um, foreign languages are difficult, and... I started off with Latin and French, and for some reason, Latin was easier to me. It was didn't come easy, but it was easier to me than French. I, I was taught at Nicolet High School by the late a woman named Juanita Bonneman, late great Juanita Bonneman, who uh, taught Latin and taught Spanish, a wonderful lady, passed away a number of years ago. Now, the after coming out of four years of high school Latin, unfortunately, though, as I sit here years and years later, 
there are two Latin phrases that stick in my mind. Is it four years and, and two things really came to mind? Um, one is in Wino Wayrum, which means in wine there is truth. You know, so which there there you know there there is a lot of truth in that. And the other is de mortem nisi bonum, which means speak nothing but good of the dead. And and that is it, it is a credo that I, I try to live for. I, I understand there's the joke, you know, the old saying is, you speak nothing but a good of the dead, so-and-so is dead, good. Okay, I, I understand that there's that old joke, but I, I've really always thought, okay, once somebody passes on, fine, you just kind of, you know, you, you really should, like, live by that axiom. All right, which brings me to the passing of Barbara Bush this week. Um, I, I think most of us, regardless of our politics, recognize that Barbara Bush was a great lady. She she really was. She was a classy lady. Um, she was certainly very protective of her husband and her son. But there's not too many people. And I had an opportunity to hear her speak or meet her on a handful of occasions. I did not know her well or anything like that. But I think most people would agree that you know, Barbara Bush was a classy lady, just a, a classy lady. And you, you saw that following her passing from the tributes that came in from political supporters, political opponents, etc. I think a lot of people recognize that this was an interesting woman who had a life well-lived. Which brings me to a 39-year-old woman named Randa Gerard. Let me give you a little bit about her background. Like I say, she's 39 years old. She was born in the United States to Palestinian and Egyptian parents. She's lived in the Persian Gulf, Gulf region. She's lived in Cairo. She's lived in the East Coast. She graduated from Sarah Lawrence College with a degree in creative writing. She got a postgraduate degree in Middle Eastern Studies from the University of Texas at Austin. She's got a master's degree in fine arts from the University of Michigan. And she is currently working as a creative writing teacher at Fresno State University in California. All right. So Barbara Bush passes away. This college professor decides upon learning of the passing of Barbara Bush to take to her Twitter account and, well, trash her. This is what she, she posts. Barbara Bush was a generous and smart, was a generous and smart and amazing racist who, along with her husband, raised a war criminal. And then she uses the F word, out of here with your nice words she then goes on to say let me quote it exactly here um either you are against these pieces of and then she uses a word that i can't say on the radio and their genocidal ways or you're part of the problem that's actually how simple this is i'm happy the witch is dead can't wait for the rest of her family to fall to their demise the way 1.5 million iraqis have she then goes on to add that she's happy that George W. Bush is probably really sad right now because his mother has passed away. She then goes on to say, I work as a tenured professor. I make $100,000 a year doing that. I will never be fired. I will always have people wanting to hear what I have to say. All right, so that's what she, she sends out. The response um, in the Twitterverse, as a general rule, is, is not positive to this. But her position is, look, you can't do anything to me. 
yeah, I, I work at Fresno. They pay. I work at Fresno State. They they pay me a hundred thousand dollars a year. I have tenure though, and I should be able to say anything I want without any consequence at all. Um, the president of federal of Fresno State comes out and says, on behalf of Fresno State, I extend my deepest condolences to the Bush family on the loss of former First Lady Barbara Bush. We share the deep concerns expressed by others over the personal comments made today by Professor Randa Gerard, a professor in the English department at Fresno State. They say um, her comments though, were made as a private citizen and don't represent the university. Her expressed personal views and commentary are obviously contrary to the core values of our university, which include respect and empathy for individuals with divergent points of uh, view and a sincere commitment to mutual understanding and progress. They say we're taking this under advisement. All right, let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, this doesn't come out on official stationery. But she is a professor at this university. Um, she puts out what I think most of us would agree is an extremely hateful comment on social media and then says there's nothing that can be done to me. So let's tee this up. Would Fresno State and should Fresno State say, you know what, lady, um, you have embarrassed the university. And, and yes, you have a First Amendment right to say what you want. But that doesn't mean that there should not be consequences to you for exercising your First Amendment right. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If I were Fresno State, I would fire this woman tomorrow. She would never, ever, ever be back in another classroom again. And if she wants to sue and litigate it, fine, let her go ahead and do it. 414-799-1620, 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How should Fresno State handle a woman who applauds the death of Barbara Bush, um, says she's happy that her son is would be sad over losing her mother, um, that Barbara Bush is a piece of you-know-what, and how would you handle this? 414-799-1620, I'd never let her back in a classroom again. It's 117, this is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. 120, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Rick in East Troy. Rick, good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you think? Uh, I guess my question, um, where do you draw the line on what is and isn't protected under the First Amendment? I I would totally agree with you about the hateful nature of it, but, I mean, certain people on certain sides of of every subject are going to consider what the other person says is is wrong and hateful. I, I just wonder the whole First Amendment kind of gets drunk through the through the through the uh, through well, the mud here a lot. Well, no, I mean, well, th- thanks for calling. No, l- let's make it really clear. The First Amendment, I, I really don't think, comes into play here. The First Amendment applies to government action. It, it says that the government shouldn't restrict your, you know, right to freedom of speech. All right, this is so she has a right to say this, but. But that doesn't mean that there aren't consequences for what you do. Let me give you an example. All right. I have a First Amendment freedom of speech, right? But I, I, I work for Scripps Broadcasting and for WTMJ. If I go out uh, tonight and decide I, I, and I'm, I, I decide I'm going to put myself up on YouTube and I go out and I launch into 
some racist tirade about whatever, and I put it up on YouTube and I post it. All right, I have a First Amendment right to do that. All right, that that's my that's my right to do it. Government can't stop me from doing that unless it crosses the line and is hate speech, which is a crime. But all right, let's say I post that video up there. Well, WTMJ Scripps Broadcasting can look at this and say, um, "All right, Jeff, you had the right to do this, but here's here's the consequences. You know, you exercised your First Amendment, and now." Boom, you're not going to be on the radio anymore because we don't want to have anything to do with somebody that is expressing this particular viewpoint in this particular fashion. So you have a right to do it, but there ends up being consequences. So, I mean, I'm not calling for the government to stop her from doing anything. Yeah, she had a right to do it. But this idea that there shouldn't be consequences, see, that's where that's where the, the fir- people, I think, mis- misunderstand the First Amendment. Um, this to me isn't a First Amendment issue. Yeah, she she could say what she said. Nobody stopped her from doing that. But now the question is, you know, what sh- what should the consequences of what she did say? And again, I I, I guarantee you, and I'll, I'll use the example I just used. I guarantee you, if I on my my personal social media accounts decided to do something similar to this, there would be disciplinary action taken. And my guess is. You know, pretty much anybody who's in a high-profile sort of public position, if you did it, you would be held accountable in this fashion. 414-799-1620. Rick in New Berlin. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon. Hi, Rick. Um, well, I have two points. I guess my first one is I would, uh, I, I agree she should not be instilling these thoughts into our, our youth uh, and our people that are studying. I mean, that that's, that, that's hate speech, really. Right. But um, I guess vote with your, you know, I, I would never send my son or daughter to Fresno State right. at this point. Okay, well, let me, let, let's, let's, let's take it up on that point. Let's say, okay, you are the president of Fresno State, and, and you have this woman on your staff, and all of a sudden you start hearing from alumni saying, we're not going to give you another dime, you know, as long as she's teaching. Or you hear, start hearing from potential applicants, gee, we're not coming to Fresno State because, you know, she's, she's teaching there. At that point in time, would the president be justified in saying, hey, this is now this business decision. Having her here is hurting us. We're not getting dollars okay. donated. Um, well, we're going to fire her. First of all, is Fresno State a public university or is it private? I think it's, you know that, I think it's public, right? Fresno State? So yeah. I, I guess I, as much as I, I don't agree with what she said, and I think it's terrible. And I, 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 I have a problem with trying to cleanse the language that she's using. And I think that the first you said you believe in the freedom of speech, but you, if you say what you want, then there's consequences. Sure. And so I, it, there, there you're, there's a line there. Now, like I said, I, I would never send my kids right. to that college as long as that teacher's there. But it sounds like you're trying, in a way, you're cleansing speech by saying. You can say what you want, but if you say what you want, we're gonna you're gonna suffer the consequences. Well, that's, sure, but that's th- not freedom of speech. Well, but but freedom of speech. No, thanks. You know, I guess see, freedom of speech isn't absolute. I, I mean, you know, if you all right, t- take anybody's job. All right, take you know, I and it, and again, maybe maybe it doesn't have to be a teacher. It doesn't have to be a radio talk show host. But let's say, for example, you work as a salesman at Gru's Widget Company. All right, you work as a salesman at Gru's Widget Company, and after work one night, 
you decide that you are going to, after a couple beers, you're going to post a, a video of yourself talking about what a horrible person the owner of the company is and what a horrible person your manager is and how all the widgets that are made at Gru's Widgets suck. Okay? You, you, you have the freedom of speech to do that. Right? That, that's your freedom. You know, you, you've done it. You've posted it there. But would you seriously argue that under those circumstances that the, your boss and the people that own Gru's widgets don't have a right to take some sort of action against you? I mean, say that's, that, that's the thing. You have the right to say what you want to say, but you also have to understand that there, there are consequences for saying some of, of these things. And I guess to me the question is going to be, what should the consequence of of that be? All right. Now, when we come back, one related aspect of this, there's a freedom of speech case being argued in front of the state Supreme Court today involving guy from Marquette University, John McAdams, who was fired. Is this the same sort of case as that? I'll tell you what I think in just a minute. 126, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 129, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, so how is this the same and how is it different than the case of John McAdams that's being argued today in front of the state Supreme Court? John McAdams, a professor of political science at Marquette University, who is a rare thing at Marquette University. He is a conservative. He has been a thorn in the side of Marquette University for a number of years because he uses his blog, the Marquette Warrior, love the name of that, to... um point out things that are going on at Marquette that the university does not want people to know about. So finally what happens is apparently there's this thing where a, a graduate student who's teaching a course confronts some kid and says, uh, you know, you, you can't oppose gay marriage in my class because that's homophobic, etc. McAdams tells that story and they fire him. All right, so the question is, how is that different? Well, it may or may not be. That's what the Supreme Court is going to decide. In the case of John McAdams, though, Marquette is not saying that we found the commentary to be offensive or whatever. Marquette is saying, by doing what you did and bringing out the name of this student, you violated a rule, and therefore, you know, we're going to use that to um, fire you. And the question becomes, you know, is, is, that, is that rule, did he really violate the rule, and did his right of free speech top that? This, to me, is a completely and totally different situation because they're not saying you violated a rule. In me, it just this is so offensive that, you know, you don't have an absolute right to say anything that you want. But, you know, there is some overlap. I see this as being a bit distinctive. I don't know how the Supreme Court's going to decide the John McAdams case. Um, I think Marquette should not have done what it did. It represents the, the political correctness that pervades the university. But whether they had a right to do it, I think, is a different sort of story. 136, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Baseball is back. I want to send you to Miller Park. Be listening sometime during the 2 o'clock hour of today's show, and you'll have a chance to win a four-pack of tickets to an upcoming game. Actually, the game is Sunday, May 6th. Uh, the Brewers play the Pittsburgh Pirates. On top of that, I'm also going to give you a $50 gift card courtesy of our sponsor, MelvinMulch.com. Now, I, I'm getting some tweets from people who are saying, um, you know, yeah, make sure you tell the rest of the story. And, and, and I didn't want to tell the second part because I, I wanted to have the conversation about the, the, the extent of the First Amendment. But th- there is another dazzling detail to this woman 
the the college professor who says I'm tenured, they can't fire me. I make a hundred um a hundred you know grand. So she sends another tweet out um, after the uproar, and the, the tweet essentially says, "Hey, I know a number of you are trying to reach me, and it, it, it's and you you don't have you don't even have a number that I that's active. If you want to reach me, here's the number." So she sends this out in a tweet. Here's the number. Now, of course, you, you understand you. You send something and you put something like this out, that this is hateful, and you are going to generate a reaction, and most of it's going to be negative, and it's going to be probably equally as hateful. So she says, okay, you know, you, you want to you know, you contact me? Here's my number. So she puts out this phone number. It's not her phone number. It's the phone number for the Arizona State. She, she teaches at Fresno State. It's the phone number for the Arizona State Student Crisis Line which deals with students who have mental health problems. It's the suicide prevention line. So she sends this phone number out, and all of a sudden all these people who want to react then start reacting. Now, they don't. she's not saying why she did this. She's not saying, um, I'll laugh out loud, OMG, guys, if you really want to reach me, here's my number. And she puts out the number of the suicide prevention hotline for Arizona State University. Now, they don't know whether she knew what this number was, whether this was a mistake or whatever. <laughs> but but on, on top of I mean, right, and, and I think in and of itself, that alone would be a basis to, to fire you. Now, but I, I didn't want to go into that because that's a whole, that gets us kind of away from the, you know, is the First Amendment absolute. But for anybody who might be there saying, okay, well, maybe we should cut her a break, she sends out a tweet saying, hey, you don't like what I'm saying. If you want to talk to me, here, call this number. It's the suicide prevention hotline for Arizona State University. Um, I, I repeat what I said going into this. This woman would never, ever, ever be back in any sort of classroom um, if I was the president of Fresno State. And if she wants to sue, okay, let her sue. We'll, we'll go have that conversation. Okay, uh, two days ago you had the the story of the, this this thing that happened on, on Southwest Airlines. And it just—it's just absolutely amazing. By now, you have probably seen the, the the pictures of this flight going from New York Laguardia to Dallas gets reaches cruising altitude, so it's well into the flight. And as I've said before, right, the most dangerous times in, in air travel is takeoff and at landing. Normally, you know, when the plane is reached cruising altitude in the air, that, that that's normally the safe time. What happens is an engine explodes. Apparently, there was a fan blade that had come off, and I, I, I don't know all, but it, it explodes. It doesn't fail. It explodes. It sends metal flying all over, and a chunk of metal is apparently large enough and moving at such a pace of speed that it smashes the window, um, one of the passenger windows, and you have this woman who is she ends up dying she's almost sucked out of the sucked out of the the plane they apparently are able to keep her pull her back in she ends up dying of her injuries um that is a horrible situation but you know um otherwise you know thanks to the actions of the pilot and the crew and the passengers keeping calm um it, this this could have been much much worse one fatality is horrible, don't get me wrong, but it could have been much, much worse. The plane makes the emergency landing in Philadelphia. Now, it was interesting to me because 
I was on a Southwest plane. I mean, it was in Las Vegas last weekend. So I was on a Southwest plane on Thursday, came back on Sunday. As I said, my wife did a turnaround trip yesterday to visit a relative um, in, in Omaha. So <laughs> I, I do admit that after this story, and, and again, you, you want to have a freak accident. A friend of mine sends me a note after we were talking about this situation on Tuesday saying, hey, hey, thanks for the update. I'm flying southwest to Cancun on, on Saturday. And I said, well, I'm, that's what I'm here for. I'm glad to help. But I, I have to, I got to admit that on the one hand, this is a completely freak thing. All right. It's the first fatality I think that Southwest has had ever. Air travel is incredibly safe statistically. This was a freakish type of thing. But I, I do, I, I'm thinking, gee, I, I, I wonder if, if this could in fact happen. If stuff could, you know, have metal fatigue, which is probably almost impossible to detect. And this thing could happen, and it's not just that the engine dies, because planes can fly on one engine. It's not just that the engine dies. It's the fact that the engine explodes, and you have all this stuff going. You, you start thinking, all right, you know, could this could this happen again? And, and how many other planes might, not just Southwest, but Delta or United or whatever, how many other planes could be in this condition? All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does this incident make you more reluctant to get on a plane. Now, let me understand what I'm asking you. Please understand what I'm asking you here. I mean, I I understand that the the reality is for for most of us, if we want to go on vacations or you want to to travel for business, you got to get on the planes. And I don't think that there's going to be a mass number of people who just simply decide, well, because this happened, now we're going to give up air travel. But, But nevertheless, I have to admit when, you know, I put my wife on this flight, you know, to, to Omaha yesterday and back, this was kind of in the back of my mind. Does it mean you didn't take the trip? No. But, you know, I, I was sort of thinking of this. Gosh, could this happen again? Was this just a freaky one-off sort of thing? Or do we have lots and lots of planes that are flying around that might have some defect in the engine or somewhere else that could cause this to happen? I'm not asking if you're giving up air travel. I am asking, does this make you a little more reluctant to fly? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Be honest. All right, we're going to discuss next. It's 143. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 147, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, let me, let me give you some facts about the, this the, this type of engine that was on the Southwest plane, and I, I don't know if it's going to make you feel better or worse. Southwest has about, and I love Southwest, by the way, Southwest has about 700 planes, all of them 737s, including more than 500 737-700s, like the one in Tuesday's accident. Southwest is the world's largest operator of the 737. The 737 is the best-selling jetliner in the world and has a good safety record. Um, Apparently, these engines had been inspected on Sunday, this plane, and no problems with the plane were, were noticed. Huh. All right. Last year, the engine maker and the FAA instructed airlines to make ultrasonic inspections of the fan blades of engines like those on the Southwest jet. The ultrasonic inspection would apparently tell you whether there was stress that would tell you that the blade needed to be replaced. The FAA said the move was prompted by a report of a fan blade failing and hurling debris. Southwest said the engine that failed Tuesday was not covered by that directive. Huh. 
but the airline said it would speed up ultrasonic inspections of all fan blades anyways. That, I think, would be good. Um, then, guy who used to be on the National Transportation Safety Board says, well, here's the other thing. There's a ring around the engine that is meant to contain engine pieces when this happens. So, in other words, when the engine blows up, there's a ring that's supposed to stop it from turning into a hand grenade. In this case, it didn't. That's going to be a big focal point for the NTSB. Why didn't the ring do its job? To which I would say, no kidding. <laughs> that's, all right, so we've got, you got the engine that's got like the fan that needs to have an ultrasonic inspection, but a lot of times they apparently don't do that. And then you've got a ring which is supposed to stop the thing from blowing up. If it does blow up, stop metal from flying. And that didn't work. Again, that's not keeping me off planes, but it doesn't necessarily make me feel better. <laughs> Mike in Madison. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you feel about it, except that, I mean, just the data alone, I mean, with 2009, I mean, it's the last time we've had a problem. The, 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 they're going to put a lot of effort in this never happening again. And the other thing that we might be forgetting is that Boeing became famous as an as a airplane manufacturer because they created the jet that allowed to fly on one jet and not two. So they right. can operate a plane when a jet goes. I don't like any of it, but, I mean, <laughs> right. this doesn't change flight safety. It only makes it safer. I, in fact, I believe I read that they're now ordering all these types of engines to be accelerated on their inspection. Right, the so, ultrasonic thing, so they can try to look for the stress. Because apparently there was a stress fracture that you just, doing a visual inspection, you wouldn't have seen. That's my understanding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was in a, an emergency landing just this year, and uh, it wasn't a May Day. It was, uh, it was uh, return. you know, basically it was a, a, a landing gear issue. And uh, I'll tell you, I mean, you don't like it, but it's amazing how good these pilots are, mm-hmm. how many redundancies they're designed in the airplane so that problems don't occur. And and we did, in fact, have a landing gear problem, but we still landed safely. Mm-hmm. It was... Uh, well, I guess, I see, that's what struck me about this, because you're, you're right, the, the plane can fly on one engine. They're, they're, you're able to do that. But in this case, the engine, it didn't just die, it exploded, you know, and yeah. that's that's where the issue was. Okay, now, thank, now, see, I, I think, see, look, I think that's the reasonable thing. I, I mean, I'm not here saying, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to get on a plane again. Well, no, I mean, I'm... I'm going to Las Vegas in the fall. I'm going to Europe in the fall. I'm going to going to uh, Cleveland. We're going to go see the Jerry Kramer go into the Hall of Fame in Canton. So we're flying to Cleveland. No, I, I mean I got trips planned. I'm going to live my life. But I I do I do acknowledge that as I was going down to the airport last night to pick up my wife, I'm going, huh? You know, all right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Bob in Racine. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon, Jeff. How Hi, you Bob. doing? I'm real well, thank you. So my wife's a flight attendant. She's been flying for over 25 years, and she would tell your listeners that once an incident happens, she would say, I would almost book my tickets on that airline because they are going to start to, just as the last caller said, start to accelerate a number of different test programs and so on. And a lot of people in the industry believe that lightning doesn't strike in the same spot. Right. It's, it's sort of like my, the argument I always make is when, when like somebody calls in a bomb threat to the school, to a school, my argument has always been that school the next day is going to be the safest place in whatever state it is because you're going to have cops and bomb sniffing dogs and all sorts of added security to make sure that that doesn't happen. Exactly. And she's, um, there were only been two times when she's been a little uh, apprehensive about uh, getting on an airplane, and one was uh, in the first flight she took after 9-11 going into 
New York. Sure. And, <laughs> and, then, and then secondly, she was involved in a, an emergency landing, and it took a couple of weeks um, before she was uh, in a good spot to fly again. So. Oh, I can imagine. Well, that's like I, I said earlier about, you know, again, most of the times when you hear about aviation problems it's normally during takeoff or it's during landing just because of the dynamics it's you don't hear about this you know when it's at cruising altitude normally that's the time you sit back relax and and, and don't worry and that's what was so weird about this particular thing yep now thanks for calling. and and again no I, and I, I think right there are and i'm not encouraging people not to fly that that's not it it's just in the category of like being honest i i I, I admit, it's kind of, when I was at the airport last night, I'm thinking, gosh, this is such a freaky sort of thing. But you do find yourself wondering, gosh, I mean, what, how, how can this happen? I'm sure somebody walked around the engine and looked and said, oh, well, that, that fan is in there. You know, it doesn't appear to be loose. But you don't check, you know, you, you need to do like one of these scans to determine, gee, is this is there some sort of metal stress that caused this to come out? And I, I doubt that that's done on a regular basis. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Uh, yeah, I, I fly fairly often, and I'm not going to be afraid to fly again, but I usually like to pick the emergency door exit because i got more leg room. I may start to think of twice about that. I don't know why, though. Yeah, yeah well, that's, well, right. yeah, you don't mean to be flip. It's like, I mean, and this this woman was in that, that one seat, you know, right behind the wing, you know, towards the, towards, she was in the worst seat possible for this. Now, thanks, again, it's just, it is a freaky sort of thing, um, and, and there's a lot of heroic sort of stuff that comes here. The, I mean, the, the the pilot who did an out, absolutely outstanding job, the passengers all maintain their cool. I mean, there's a lot of really positive stories that come out of out of this. And I mean, I my reaction and my tendency is to think of this as a one off sort of thing. But I, I don't know for everybody who was flying yesterday who was sitting immediately behind the wing in one of these types of planes, i got to admit, that stuff would have been running through my mind as well. Will it stop me from getting on a plane? No. I, I do think Southwest would be well advised, and the other airlines as well, who are flying this type of plane, to say, okay, we're, we're going to expedite these kind of stress tests, especially for planes that have been you know, in the air. I don't know how many miles the engine had on it, but you know, let's check this sort of stuff out because we now know that if there is a problem, freaky or not, it can lead to really bad consequences. 155, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, are back-to-back shutouts for the Brewers, a sign of the turning tides for their starting pitching. Greg Matzik dives into the numbers, takes your thoughts starting at 6.07 this evening. Tune in to Sports Central. Coming up in the next hour of the program, what exactly is going on with the city attorney's office and Lena Taylor? All right. Should Starbucks be giving out free coffee to African Americans? Why is this 911 dispatcher in Cleveland or in Cincinnati still on the job? And of course, welcome back baseball, a four pack of tickets to give away. It's 208. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Tomorrow. Tomorrow will be, what, April 20th. We're still, still going to have a whole bunch of snow on the ground. But no, 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 I, I digress on that. Um, tomorrow will be, you know what happened two weeks ago tomorrow? Gru, this is the test. Public events, public affairs. You know what happened two weeks ago tomorrow? <laughs> okay, tomorrow is a Friday. So I say to my producer, Gru, 
Let, 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 let's just kind of roll this one back. Rude, do you know what happened two weeks ago tomorrow? Which, it's a Friday, okay. And his response to me, hand in the air, is, is that when we had the election? No, no, we don't have elections on Friday, but good try. Good, 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 good. Oh, oh so now, now he tells me, I know we don't have them on Friday, then why did you say that to me? I mean, it's just like, all right, I understand. You panicked. I didn't tell you what I was going to ask you before. You panicked. No. Two weeks ago tomorrow is not when we had the election. We have elections on Tuesday, not Friday. But Friday apparently is the day where we have um, elected officials who go nuts in local banks. All right, two weeks ago tomorrow, it was April 6th, which is Friday on a Friday, State Senator Lena Taylor, and this is what all the reports seem to suggest, she was in the Wells Fargo um, Bank downtown. She was trying to cash a check apparently given to her by tenants. Um, there was insufficient proceeds in the account, so they weren't cashing the check. The reports are that Lena Taylor went into one of her patented rages and started screaming at the teller, um, who happened to also be black. Senator Taylor is black. And um, the reports are that she she used the N-word with regard to the uh, teller. Now, if this had been me, or if this had been, I think, probably any Republican, white or black, it would have been a career-ending thing pretty much immediately. You would have had Al Sharpton flying in from New York City. You would have had protests. You would have had demands for resignations. But because it's Lena Taylor, you have nothing at all. Nothing. It's like this whole thing is just kind of gone away. No outrage at all. She's not commenting on this. Um, I, I said at the time that what should have happened was real simple. She, she should have come out immediately, issued an apology, and then tried to move on. Instead, as is her right, she's hired a lawyer. She's lawyered up and apparently is trying to talk the city attorney's office out of giving her a ticket. That The lawyer, Vince Bob, I've known Vince for a long time, his response, and it's what his response was apparently we told, I think it was Channel 6, he said, well, um, you know, we, I haven't even talked to her about what she did. I said, let's let's wait to see, you know, what the body camera shows. Let's wait to see what the bank surveillance thing shows, which is what good criminal defense attorneys do. Don't tell me what you did. Let me see what the government or the state can prove, um, which which might be the way to handle defense, criminal defense matters, even though I don't, she's not looking at a crime. If anything, it would be a, a, an ordinance violation for disorderly conduct. But. But the bigger point is, this is a woman who is an elected official who, at least according to reports, had this out-of-control involvement. Then there's the question about did she try to use influence to end up, you know, getting the ticket quashed, etc. But it, it's been now, it's been two weeks. Now, let me say this about the Milwaukee City Attorney's Office. The city attorney is a guy named Grant Langley. I know Grant Langley. I like Grant Langley. I have a lot of respect for Grant Langley. As as elected officials in the city of Milwaukee go, Grant Langley is one of the good ones. He, he is, and so I, I think I, I think he runs that office. And even though I've disagreed with positions that office has taken, I, I think he runs the office. He is not a political hack, and he doesn't run the office like a political hack would run that office. So I have trust in the city attorney's office. Having said that. This has now been two weeks. 
right? Th- this is a high-profile situation. It has been two weeks. Uh, Lena Taylor is is deep in the bunker. The media around here is not pushing for anything. Because, again, imagine, imagine if this were Robin Voss, all right? And Robin Voss had gone into a bank in Racine, and the same sort of thing had happened, and he was accused of using the N-word. Or Alberta Darling, my dear friend Alberta Darling, or Jim Ott, or Leah Vukmir, any if that had happened to them, this would be a front page story and a story that led on every TV broadcast for the last two weeks. Since it is Lena Taylor, we hear nothing. And it is the double standard which is so incredibly frustrating. Here's what Grant Langley needs to do, and he needs to do it like about yesterday, and that is Make a decision in this particular case. And if the facts are, as I believe they've been represented to me, well, then it's, it's real easy. You give her the disorderly conduct citation. You don't let her get out of it because she's a high-profile African-American state-elected official. Also, and I know news outlets have made the request for this, let's release the stuff. Let's see. There is no reason at all to keep this quiet. Let us see the body camera report. Let us see the surveillance video if there's out there. And then, you know, just put this out there. Again, my biggest point is I, I have confidence. I think Langley does the right thing. I think he's a good guy. Hope he does in this case. But this is one where the double standard is screaming. Because if this was anybody on the other side of the aisle that had done something like this or was accused of doing something like this, we would have not had essentially crickets for the last two weeks. It's not a matter that the local newspaper would have allowed to go quietly. It's not a matter that the TV stations would have allowed to go quietly. But because, well, okay, she's a Democrat, she's African-American herself, we're just going to kind of ignore you know, some of these allegations. And if, by the way, if it turns out that she didn't use that word, that she didn't create a disturbance, well, fine, release the surveillance photos, release the police body camera photos, But the public has a right to know this is a high-profile matter, and you should not be dragging your feet on it. And I understand sometimes, in ordinary cases, it can take a month for the city attorney's office to decide whether it's going to pursue a ticket. This is not an ordinary case, and this isn't a tough call. It's not a tough call. You've got the police reports that are there. If Lena Taylor's told her story, you've got that. This is one where you put it on the top of the pile you make your decision, you tell the public why you've done it, and you allow the information to be out there. You don't cover this up with the hope that it's going away because I guarantee you there's a number of people who are focused on this, and we're not going to let it go away. So my advice, Mr. Langley, Grant, whoever's handling this, get off their butt, make the decision. It will be two weeks as of tomorrow. Release the documents Make the decision to charge, which is, I believe, what should happen, or not charge, and then justify your decision and allow the public to make that make the case. Otherwise, it does look like you are giving an elected official some special treatment. It's 216. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One local expert says Barbara Bush has a legacy unlike any other first lady. A look inside the presidency of her husband and where she stands. John and Melissa have that at 350 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. This is, it's one of these horrible stories. And I, I always try to pride myself on 
trying to find a, a silver lining in you know very dark clouds. And I will tell you, this is a story that I'm 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 having trouble with that. Um, it's of course out of the the Cincinnati area. This it's what happened you know last week. Um, you had the story of the young man who his name is Kyle Plush. Tuesday, uh, the, the the other day, what happens is he's he's at his school and he's got the family minivan and he's in the back of the van that's parked, you know, it, and he's looking for his tennis equipment and it's one of these vans that have the three seats in them and he's in the back seat, he's in the third seat and the 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 tennis equipment is behind that third seat. And so the way I understand this is he's kind of on his knees and he's reaching over the seat and he's trying to find the stuff from that's behind there. And and somehow the seat flips over and pins him underneath the seat with the seat like pressing down on on his chest. All right? He has access to a, a cell phone. And he calls 911 um, at least twice. Like I say, he's in a 2004 Honda Odyssey minivan outside the Seven Hills School um, in Madisonville, Ohio. So he makes this he makes this call. Um, the first call he makes, um, apparently, he's able to tell the 911 operator where he was located during during the call. Um, she then fails to relay that information to additional officers. Um, he, he then goes on to say, um, look, I, I'm not, this isn't a joke. I'm trapped inside my gold Honda Odyssey van in the parking lot of the Seven Hills. Send officers immediately. I'm almost dead. Okay, so... Now, he's made these two phone calls to 911. The first one kind of gets disconnected. The, the second one, he says, you know, where, where he is. All right. Deputies then go to the scene and they start, you know, looking around. Um, they, they can't find him. Soon after he called in, um, they, they look around and then they start thinking that it's, it's a prank. As it turns out, the operator, Amber Smith, who's the 911 operator who answered the second call, the one where he says, I'm trapped in the, the car, I'm, I'm, you know, this is where I am. She fails to relay that information to the additional officers who were at the scene. So he's made this call. She hasn't passed on the information. The police are there and they're in the parking lot, but nobody, because the cops don't know that the guy had said, the kid had said, hey, I'm trapped in the gold minivan, I'm in the back. They, they, they don't see anything. And so they end up leaving. And it's the boy's father that ends up finding him several hours later. Um, the 911 operator was initially suspended. She, her story is she told supervisors her computer froze and that she was unable to put information into the system that that's her story the computer froze she had been suspended yesterday though she was allowed to return to work um but apparently is not going to answer emergency calls 
while the investigation is underway. Now it's turning out that the same woman apparently has a history. They may of 2017. She wrote this to the 911 operator, wrote a social media post venting about how working overtime makes her and her coworkers hate our job. I'm always at work and working overtime. All it does is make our hate our job and hate the people that are off for months. Just feel like venting. That's all. Nothing will change. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Obviously, there are systematic problems, you know, with, with the 911 system in Cincinnati. That's part of the thing that's coming out. But at the same time, I think that there needs to be accountability. And in this particular situation, I, I find it almost stunning that they have allowed this woman to go back to work pending the outcome of this investigation. I think that there might be all sorts of problems that go on, but clearly this lady screwed up, in my opinion, and she screwed up in a big way. If somebody calls in and says, I'm dying, I'm stuck, this is where I am, I'm pinned under a seat in the back seat, I'm being suffocated, I'm in this gold minivan, it's parked in seven hills, and you don't make absolutely sure that that information goes to the cops, well, that to me is per se 100% negligence. I don't care if her computer froze or not. You've got to make sure that information gets passed along. And the idea that they're letting her return to work, even if it's not answering phone calls, is absolutely appalling to me. 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. 226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Couple texts. Did the child die? Yeah, the kid died. I mean, that that's the, that, that's one of the, just the mind-boggling things of this story. Are uh, the kids in the school, in the school parking lot, the seat flips over and, and Honda doesn't know why that occurred and there's going to be a lawsuit, I'm sure, in connection with that, but that's not the point. The point is, all right, this happens. He's got the presence of mind as he's pinned under this seat to call 911. He makes two separate calls. The first one, um, not a lot of information is conveyed, but the second one he actually speaks to one of the 911 operators and he tells her precisely, I mean, what is, you know, what is going on with the thing? You know, it, she says, okay, this is, you know, I'm trapped inside my gold Honda Odyssey van in the parking lot of Seven Hills. Send officers immediately. This isn't a joke. I'm almost dead. Well, okay, you get a call like that, and I'm sure there's lots of prank calls and things like that that go on, but how in the world can anybody, how in the world can anybody make not, get a call like that, and there are officers on the scene not make sure that somebody on the scene has that information. I mean, this is what I'm sure has got to be haunting this family, among many, one of the many things, is that there were cops there. There were cops in there, but they didn't see anything. Um, you know, they didn't know to look in, you know, a gold Honda Odyssey minivan to, to see this. If the dispatcher would have relayed the information that, in this case, the victim, you know, had, had passed on, maybe, maybe they would have gotten there in time to save the kid. But she didn't. She didn't. As a result, somebody is dead. And it might sound harsh, but doesn't there have to be some degree of accountability? And if there is accountability, 
you know, isn't it time perhaps to start with the dispatcher who screwed up in a big way and say, all right, you're, you're losing your job, or at the very least, you know, you're going to be suspended without pay bef- while we investigate what clearly was dereliction of duty on your part. Uh, just saying. There needs to be accountability. 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, there are, in many, 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 many cities across the country, have streets that are renamed to honor Dr. Martin Luther King. In Milwaukee, and this goes back to the 80s, um, 3rd Street is now uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Drive. And it's it's sort of interesting. You have, in the immediate downtown area, um, 3rd Street is, is Old World 3rd Street for a few blocks. And, and then what happens is it becomes uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Drive from you know, essentially the, the time where Third World, Old World Third Street ends, and that runs um, all the way up to, to Capitol Drive. Um, and then it becomes Green Bay Avenue after that. So the, essentially the same street really has three different names. But you got the, the small the smaller part that's Old World Third Street, then you've got the larger part that is Dr. Martin Luther King Drive, and then you've got Green Bay Avenue north of Capitol. Okay, so that's that's how it works. But it's it's Third Street, but it's now been renamed. Um, the vast majority of in Milwaukee of Dr. Martin Luther King Drive runs through what would be primarily an African American neighborhood or a largely African American neighborhood, not exclusively. And that, by the way, is the way it is in most cities. The streets that have been renamed to honor Dr. King are in predominantly African-American portions of town. All right. So why do we talk about this? Well, there is a controversy in Kansas City. In Kansas City, apparently there is a push to rename a street to honor Dr. Martin Luther King. Kansas City is one of the few um, cities, big cities in the country, that doesn't have a Martin Luther King road or street or drive or, or boulevard. The problem, though, is they can't decide where to rename it. Um, some are saying, well, if we're going to have a Dr. Martin Luther King drive, boulevard, street, whatever, it should be, uh, again, in a predominantly African-American a- area, um, which tends to be perhaps more socioeconomically challenged. There's another group of people, though, that are saying, look, they have it all wrong around all these other cities that are doing this and putting it in downtown and urban areas that are perhaps majority-minority areas. All these cities are getting it wrong. What we, this is the argument that's being made, what should we should be doing is we should be, if we're going to rename a street after Dr. Martin Luther King, what we should do is we should put the street in in an area where um, white people predominantly live because it would have greater economic impact to, to do this. The argument would be, hey, look, you know, we, we want to try to, if, if you want to make a statement uh, about, you know, racism and condemning racism, well, why not take a street honoring Dr. King and put it in a predominantly white, maybe a more affluent area, to, to do that honor. 
And Kansas City right now is completely paralyzed by this debate. They can't decide whether it is appropriate to have a street renamed to honor Dr. King um, in a largely white, more affluent area. Again, most cities, the streets, when they get renamed, it tends to be, like it is in Milwaukee, you know, the, the downtown sort of, of area. And some people are saying, no, we're getting it all wrong. You know, we, we should have it. We should have it in a predominantly white area. And then a lot of the critics are saying, no, you can't do that. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to put this street in a largely white area, to which I would say, is there anything wrong with that? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should it matter where the street is? Does a street renamed to honor Dr. King, does it have to be in a predominantly African-American area, or do you perhaps gain more by putting it in a more affluent section of town? 414-799-1620. Again, I'm not calling for or urging renaming you know, the present Martin Luther King Drive in Milwaukee, but this is playing out in some of these cities, particularly Kansas City, where they don't have a Martin Luther King Drive or Road or Street or Boulevard, and they're arguing about where you put it, does a street honoring Dr. King have to be or should it be in a predominantly African-American area, or would it make more sense to put it somewhere else? I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss. What do you think? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back with your calls in just a moment. It's 241. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Daryl on the north side. Daryl, good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, to me, it, make, it, it seems to make a lot of sense to me to put it in a different area. Why should it always just be on the black side of town? I mean, they're Americans just like black people are. I mean, and you know, I, I, I always wonder why wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah, well, see, I guess, you know, it, it's, I, I've never, I gotta tell you, Daryl, until I heard about this controversy, I, I never thought about it before, but you know what? I, I agree with you. If the purpose, if the purpose of, of renaming a street after, in this case, whether it's Dr. King or Abraham Lincoln or whoever, you're gonna do that, what, what difference does it matter where, where it is? And for anybody who would argue that this always, it always has to be in a predominantly black area. I think they miss the point. And for anybody who would say, well, we can't put that in a white area, I think they miss the point as well. The point is, honor Dr. King. You know, let, let, you know, and, and you know, pick a street that's suited for that. And I, I'm not offended, for example, if, if you would decide to put it in a, you know, put it in a predominantly white, more affluent area. Well, okay, that, that's good. You're honoring Dr. King. Doesn't mean it has to be in a black neighborhood, for example. I agree with you 100. Yeah, no, thanks. Yeah, no, thanks. I mean, I, again, it, it's let's see. I've got uh, text here. Lisa in Wind Lake. If Martin Luther King were alive, he would be embarrassed by this entire discussion. His dream was there is no predominantly black or white or Asian areas. His vision is we are all colorblind. We all work hard and achieve the same things. These were great strides, and the things have slipped backwards in the last uh, several years. And it, it is. You know, uh, Mike and Glendale says roads are long. Pick one that goes all across town. See, I think there is a value to that. I think the idea that it has to be in an urban area is is wrong. And again, I'm I'm not calling for you know renaming renaming Dr. Martin Luther King Drive in Milwaukee. It is what it is. But this idea that you know moving forward, it always has to be in an urban area, has to be in a predominantly black area. 
or that's going to be an insult to uh, black people if you move it, or that you know white people should object to it. No, you you find a, a street that is appropriate, and if anything, I think maybe it does kind of encourage and increase the dialogue um, by by taking a taking a city a street in a predominantly white area, maybe a more affluent area than some of you know the the ones in the inner city. Rename that after Dr. King. I think that leads to an interesting discussion. Dan and Racine. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Thanks for taking my sure. call. You know, I'm pretty much right with what you're gonna, what you just said. I, I can't even believe that this is the topic. I, I just was laughing in my car that we're that concerned about where this man's name gets presented when he was clearly for everybody in this country. Yeah. Um, the, the fact is, I would love to have him put that in where I live in, in Racine. So I don't have to spell out the name that is on my street. Directions to. Well, I would relish the thought of having Dr. Martin Luther King's name on my road. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people. Thanks for calling. I think a lot of people would end up feeling that way as well. And, and literally, they are paralyzed in Kansas City. Everybody agrees. Yeah, we 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 want to honor Dr. King. We want to name a road. I'm not making this up. But they can't figure out where what part of town to put it in. Some people are saying, well, you can't put it in the white part of town. Other people are saying, well, no, you, you know, it, you shouldn't put it in the black part of town. I just, it's, it is kind of mind boggling that this is the stuff we're arguing about. Okay. I'm sorry. Other calls on this, but I, I, there's one thing I've been waiting all week to talk to you about this. I understand this is, this is on the list of significant world issues. It is way down, but I am, I am fascinated by this. And we only got a couple minutes. All right. In, in Europe, for example, Tastes are different. You know, it is not uncommon for people to dip their French fries, say, in mayonnaise. That's a big... We don't do that in the United States. You know, we don't eat mayonnaise on your French fries as a general rule. Eat ketchup on your French fries. But but tastes are different. Heinz, you know, that makes all the condiments. In Europe, they sell this product that is called mayo chup. M-A-Y-O-C-H-U-P. Mayo chup. I'm not making this up. And it sells really, really well. What it is, is mayonnaise mixed with ketchup. Heinz mayo chop. <laughs> All right? And, and it's a big seller in Europe. Heinz just came out. They are surveying customers to figure out whether that's something that would sell in the United States. Like I say, in, in Europe, where, I mean, tastes are different and, you know, the customs are different, it, it's it's not unusual to mix mayonnaise and ketchup. Now, I, I, again, you would say, all right, well, why do you need these products put together? You know, if you want mayonnaise and ketchup together, you just, you've got the jar of mayonnaise, you've got the jar of ketchup, you just mix it. But, you know, there, there is this convenience factor. It's a big seller in Europe. Heinz is now speculating, should we bring this to the United States Heinz mayo chup, mayonnaise mixed with ketchup. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I got to tell you, this it strikes me as being disgusting. <laughs> I just, I just, I, I just, I, I like, I like mayonnaise on things. I like ketchup on certain things. Ketchup and mayonnaise mixed together. I, it's just, it is not my taste. But, 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 but. 414-799-1620. I want to get as many calls as we possibly can. All right, mayonnaise and ketchup mixed together so you could buy it as one condiment in the store. 
Heinz is considering doing this. 414-799-1620. Gru is lining up the calls quickly. Let's see. Here's a text. I heard about this last week. It sounds awesome. I would buy it in an instant. That's what makes the Whopper great. Um, another text. In the Rocky Mountain region, they have something called fry sauce, which is seasoned salt, ketchup, and mayonnaise all mixed together. Okay, 414-799-1620. Another text. I know a handful of people who like that. All right, here's somebody else. I do that all the time. It's great. My wife likes it as well. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Gru is screening the calls. I'm just kind of curious to your reaction. Would this be a success? It apparently is a success in Europe. You know, if we, if you could go to that store and you see it all just kind of mixed up together, you know, would it work? Okay, let's go to the calls. John in Pewaukee. John, you're on WTMJ. Hello. John. Hello. Hi, John. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've done it for a long time. It makes my wife absolutely sick. <laughs> I take mayo and barbecue sauce. Okay. If I don't have if I don't have barbecue sauce, I go to ketchup, and it's almost as good. Okay, so if Heinz came out with this product, um, you 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 would you would buy it, so you don't have to have the two jars and mix them together. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to. Um, okay. Let's see. Let's get the calls up here. Let's go to James in Appleton. James, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Okay, is this is, is this is Heinz on to something? Yeah, they are because um, when I was little, my mom taught us how to make Thousand Island dressing, and that's what it is: ketchup, mayonnaise, and sweet pickle relish. So it's just the it's just the same thing without the pickles in it. Okay, so you think if Heinz were to come out with this, you think a lot of people would be buying it? I think a lot of people will try it because they're so into food and trying new things and stuff like that. Me, personally, it's tartar sauce all the way in. <laughs> well, thanks for calling. See, to me, tartar sauce is an excuse. to uh, Fish fries on Friday are excuses to eat tartar sauce. Let's see. In England, relish and ketchup is really big. Okay, here's another note. Try it. It's great. Huh. I don't see. I don't. I don't know. Um, I, I like. That's interesting. I like mustard on hamburgers. Um, I like mayonnaise, ketchup, and mustard mixed together. I'm having trouble. Okay, here's another text. Yes, bring it to the United States. It sounds amazing. I uh, grew up eating mayonnaise and mustard with my fries. It has to be similar, right? Um, I don't know. Uh, let's see. Mike on the northwest side says, my sister-in-law would probably drink this right out of the bottle. Um, okay, Dennis in West Dallas. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Dennis. Um, my son's been mixing mayo and ketchup since he was a kid. He actually mixes it on his sandwiches. Um, he's in his 20s now, and he still does it. He'll probably buy it. Me, I like uh, ranch dressing on my fries. Ranch dressing on your fries, huh? Yep. Huh. Got it. I gotta, I gotta think about that one. Ranch dressing on the fries. Okay. Let's see. Uh, Tom in Gurney. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey Jeff, how you doing? I am well, thank you. What? Uh, okay, is, is this a winner? It is a winner. It's something I've been doing for a long time, but I don't think the name is very good. They just had a thing on LinkedIn asking for different names. My suggestion would be tomato instead of mayo chop. <laughs> Yeah, mayo chup doesn't it doesn't exactly roll out off the tongue. I I had to practice it a couple times before I said it on the radio. Yeah. Exactly. All right. All right. Hey, well, look, I this unscientific survey, but jam phone lines 
Um, Heinz, this is serious. They're, they, they do, like I say, they sell it in Europe, and they're trying to decide if American tastes would appeal to it. I, 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 I don't see me buying it. I like mayonnaise. I like ketchup. I don't know that I'd mix them together, and I don't know that I'd buy a product with it mixed together, but, but who, who knows? Food trends are different. All right, when we come back, we'll find out what John McCure has on his mind. It's 254. This is Jeff Wagner.